Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, the podcast about science fiction and society that communicates entirely in song and dance. You you can't actually see the dance, but just know that we are dancing the entire time as we record this podcast. So I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer and general weirdo, and my most recent book is Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak, which is the second book in a young adult trilogy about queer teens who go out and save all the worlds. And I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction, and my latest book is Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about musicals, those wonderful stage plays and movies where people are liable to just start doing elaborate musical numbers at the drop of a hat, sometimes literally at the drop of a hat. And we're going to talk about why we believe that musicals are inherently kind of portal fantasies in which we're transported to a fantastical world and why they maybe lend themselves so well to stories with fantastical themes. And later in the episode, We'll be joined by Laser from the wonderful acclaimed musical group, The Double Clicks, who will talk to us about their brand new stage musical, Teaching a Robot to Love. Also on our audio extra next week, we'll be talking about Bronze Age feminism and all the mind-blowing things that we've learned recently about that. By the way, did you know that this podcast is entirely independent? We have zero tentacles embedded in our brains. And it's funded by you, our listeners, through Patreon. That's right. If you become a patron, you're helping to make this podcast happen. And you also get audio extras with every episode. You also get access to our Discord channel where we just hang out all the time dispensing wisdom and more importantly dispensing foolishness i think our foolishness is worth a lot more than our yeah, wisdom I'm i think be i think we do a lot of of sort of foolish ideation on the discord server and, and yeah, that's that's part of what it's true know, part of what you pay for so you know all of that could be yours for just a few bucks a month anything you give goes right back into making our opinions increasingly correct I would even say asymptotically correct. Mm -hmm. So find us at patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. So let's get dancing. So, Annalie, do you remember the first time you saw the movie Xanadu? Yes! Okay, that was a very deeply important and meaningful movie to me when I was in elementary school, um, which is when it came out. First of all, I loved Olivia Newton-John, um, as you know, all right-thinking 10-year-olds do. And oh, yeah. I loved the sparkly fashions. But here's the thing. What I loved most in the world at the time was roller skating. So that scene where like the muses come alive and like jump out of a giant painting on roller skates and they have glowing light all around their bodies, it made me uh-huh. feel like anything was possible. And especially because the whole point of the movie was that art could make anything possible. These muses were going out on their roller skates to influence people to do things like, 
I don't know, start a dance club. And Mm -hmm. the other thing I loved about it was that the dance numbers that incorporated Gene Kelly were just incredible. And it kind of, the whole movie kind of collapses time into this like glittery dance orgy where like 1940s swing music merges with contemporary 80s music. And it just, it really stuck with me. It it was incredibly uh, important. And I think all of the songs I have memorized. It's a movie that does such inventive things with form and function and kind of just, it's just so exuberant and the soundtrack is so great. So as for me, I have a really powerful memory of being a little kid and a, a family friend had just passed away. And so my parents decided to go to the funeral, but they deposited me and my brother at a matinee of the movie, Can't Stop the Music, featuring the village people. Awesome. And That movie, I mean, it was such a weird thing because my parents were off kind of mourning their friend who had died. And my brother and I were like watching disco dancing. It just, it made such a huge impression on me though with all these colorful campy set pieces and just everything so over the top and all these gay themes that completely went over my head at the time, but also I think sunk deep inside me. And I drank a soda as big as my own face (laughs) while watching the village people do a song and dance routine about milkshakes. And I think that that movie is responsible for a lot of the person I am now. And that's the thing about musicals is that they combine narrative and song in a way that's just joyful and immediate and kind of gets into your head in a way that other narratives maybe don't quite in the same way. Yeah, you get to enter into this whole other world where the rules are suspended. And it's, it is like passing through a portal. It really and is. Yeah. So why do you, why are, are musicals kind of like portal fantasies? I mean, I think so. Um, I think a musical is kind of an inherently unreal type of storytelling just because of that thing where people kind of burst into song in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the best musicals are often ones where everybody joins in, like everybody suddenly is doing a choreographed number that everybody seems to know all the steps. And even though they may have just met a second ago, it's sort of like a fairy enchantment has overtaken everybody. It's Or it's like a heightened version of reality. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh, a couple of really recent TV shows like Heartstopper and Ms. Marvel, where like as characters are talking, you kind of see cartoony images appearing in the frame or like on the walls that like reflect what they're talking about or what they're thinking about, but that add this kind of fairy tale quality to the whole scene. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of my favorite musicals do kind of get so over the top that they become like living cartoons. And, you know, there's also a lot of great animated musicals. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the cartoons I watched as a kid were very musical oriented, like the Betty Boop cartoons from the 30s, the early Disney animated films. Uh, have always had musical sequences, like including Fantasia, which is completely off the wall. So where do you think musicals get this sense of heightened or altered reality from? You know, I mean, the stage musical as a genre has a lot of different antecedents, but the roots include things like vaudeville performance, pantomimes, burlesque, but also these like grandiose, very kind of weird, silly comic operas by people like Gilbert and Sullivan and Harrigan and Hart. And, you know, 
a lot of those antecedents are very kind of like bonkers. And I was obsessed mm -hmm. with Gilbert and Sullivan as a child. And those just get so weird at a certain point. And, you know, I think that a lot of the musicals that you and I grew up loving were a product of the late 1960s and onwards, where the popularity of rock music and changing social norms started to kind of rewrite our relationship with the musical. And things just get more wild and, and out of control. You have things like Hair, The Wiz, Grease, Cabaret, that they have this kind of anarchic zest that feels really outrageous. And, you know, I read that musical budgets like musical theater budgets, like Broadway musical budgets, like skyrocketed in the 1960s and sets and cast just became so much more elaborate as they were trying to keep that rock and roll exuberance in the traditional musical form. And you had choreographers like Bob Fosse, who just made everything more frenetic and wild. Yeah, I mean, and that's also the era when you got those kind of rock operas, like The Who doing Tommy, mm -hmm. um, and then somewhat later, um, Pink Floyd doing The Wall. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also things like Rocky Horror Picture Show. And Rocky Horror is such a great example of thinking about musicals as a portal fantasy because it was such an effective fantasy that people really did want to live in that world. They would go to shows like midnight shows every week and dress up as the cast and reenact the story and participate. And it was like going to see Rocky Horror was like passing through a portal into a world where you could be yes. queer and flamboyant and as weird as you wanted. And it was fine. And I also want to acknowledge, by the way, that you and I have recently become obsessed with the work of Kenny Ortega, who choreographed Xanadu mm -hmm. and then directed, among other things, Newsies, the high school musical films, The Descendants, and Julie and the Phantoms. So this episode is basically an Ortega-verse fan show. Yes, Kenny Ortega is our god king. Where Whatever he directs, there's, there's this kind of crackling energy to it. And his work has been so instrumental in helping me personally get through the past few years. He's definitely a big part of why I've been thinking about musicals so much lately as well. And he's a great case study because his oeuvre includes things that are like explicitly fantasy, like Xanadu and Julie and the Phantoms, alongside allegedly realistic stories like High School Musical mm -hmm. or Newsies. And those feel like they're cut from the same cloth to me. I don't think... Well, Xanadu is, is much more fantastical and weird than High School Musical. They're, they're both kind of the mm -hmm. same. They both have that kind of like reality is kind of our plaything. Yeah. And there's a kind of campy generosity to everything Kenny Ortega touches, which, you know, leads to possibilities that normally wouldn't feel real, like basketball players and nerds dancing together. Yeah, I love the phrase campy generosity. Um, I feel like mm -hmm. that's very much the Ortega verse. And Kenny Ortega got his start performing in the musical Hair. So his he did. roots really go back to some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier. Um, and I just love that in the Ortega verse, Enemies can become friends, swing music can become disco, unionized mm -hmm. paperboys can defeat capitalism. So if anything can happen, I wonder if that means that musicals are always like hovering somewhere between pretty weird and totally wild on the narrative spectrum. 
I think that's a great way to put it. And I think that kind of the heightened reality of musicals kind of gives us, the audience and the performers and everybody, permission to go on kind of more flights of fancy. And depending on the story, things can go intensely silly or extremely dark. And it's all can be encompassed within that same kind of tone. So I talked about this with playwright MJ Kaufman, who, among other things, worked on a transparent musical. And this is what MJ told me. Musicals have to be, have to kind of exist in heightened reality because of song and dance. And the fact that like the big events of the story want to take place through song or dance. So like where in another play, characters would like fall in love through dialogue in a musical should probably happen in the song. And so that kind of just like lifts out the moment. And that kind of like heightened tonal flavor has to be woven through the story. And I was also so happy to talk to playwright Raina Hardy, whose recent stage works include Annie Jump in the Library of Heaven and the forthcoming Glass Heart. And she's also worked on a couple of genre musicals that aren't available online yet. And she said that this heightened tone might not give you any additional leeway to go nuts with genre elements, but it's still a very real thing. The fact that people break into song and dance to express their emotions makes it much easier to include other theatrical representations of the play's reality, whatever genre that play's reality exists within. So for example, in Billy Elliot, a work of social realism, Billy, a young boy who dreams of being a ballet dancer, can dance on stage with his future self. This doesn't happen in the movie Billy Elliot is based on, and it would have been pretty hard to get the audience to accept it in that film. But in a musical, he can pot to do with his adult self, and it feels totally natural. It would not feel totally natural, however, if he got into a spaceship and flew to the moon. The dance is understood to represent his emotional reality through a time travel metaphor. It's not actual time travel, and we're still in a basically realistic world that's being represented in a fantastical way. But Reyna, at the same time, was kind of cautioning that a sci-fi or fantasy musical really is no different from, like, the way that you would present sci-fi or fantasy things in other formats. You still have to do all the same work. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get an audience to accept that they are watching a sci-fi or fantasy musical. You just do it the same way you do with a movie or a book, by setting those expectations up front. Or at least that's how most successful sci-fi and fantasy musicals have done it. Into the Woods tells you it's a fairy tale by beginning with the words, Once Upon a Time. Even Rocky Horror Picture Show, which includes a lot of different genre elements, tells you right in the opening song to expect a lot of trashy late night genre movie elements. So I say all this with a caveat that I'm talking about what's worked for shows in the past and what you can usually get an audience on board with. I've always been in the camp that believes you can do almost anything with a little ingenuity. But while I do think the inherent theatricality of musicals gives you more leeway to represent the play's story in fantastical ways, I don't think it makes it any easier to include fantastical elements in that story. So those are really good things to think about as we go forward. And I love the way Raina kind of put that about how you have to kind of set the expectations one way or the other. You have to kind of prime the audience. Mm -hmm. So when we get back... We'll talk to Laser from the Double Clicks about their new musical, Teaching a Robot to Love, and we'll talk about why musicals are such a great vehicle for science fiction storytelling in particular.
If you're searching for a show that pulls back the curtain on the mystique of the writing life, look no further than The Writer Files. Host Kelton Reed studies the habits, habitats, and brains of the biggest and brightest authors of our time. Tune in each week to learn exactly how acclaimed writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Recent highlights include chats with New York Times bestselling novelist Emma Straub, author of This Time Tomorrow, award-winning novelist and Pulitzer Prize finalist Hernan Diaz, author of Trust, and recent National Book Award winner Jason Mott, author of Hell of a Book. Follow The Writer Files wherever you get your podcasts. So now we're incredibly lucky to be joined by the wonderful Laser Sydney Weber, who is a member of the or one of our favorite groups, the Double Clicks, and also the co-creator of an amazing new musical called Teaching a Robot to Love, which we're both obsessed with. We we watched it. I've been listening to the music constantly. And you know, so Thanks, thanks for joining us, Laser. Oh my gosh, it, absolute honor. I uh, love you both so much. Thank you so much for having Aww. me. I've been bragging about this to everybody. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be on our opinions, Greg. Like, no big deal. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> the coolest people ever. Yeah, it's cool. It's fine. Awesome. It is we who are honored, and it is you who are cool. So, Teaching a Robot to Love is such an amazing musical. And I read an interview where you said that you got the idea for the musical after you yourself threw a party and you kind of came up with the song Normal Human Party, which is one of my favorite songs in there. And then you started trying to imagine like a robot trying to throw a party for humans. And can you tell us more about that process and how that kind of came about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the musical came from a few a few different places, but Normal Human Party was the first song I wrote that made it into the musical. We do a lot of um, weekly songwriting challenges in the double clicks. The great song Dimetrodon was a song that came out of that, inspired by a current uh, person on the Zoom call. Um, but the, the uh, <laughs> who is a huge fan of that song and that album. So yeah. <laughs> um, but we yeah that was a uh, I threw a party um, the last party I think I've thrown uh, where I had a bunch of people over to my house and was like okay I'm gonna do just like a normal party and it'll be fine and got really obsessed with like having enough food for everybody and chairs and like not enjoying it at all obviously because that's not possible when there are that many people in your house and I think I've for a really long time for a lot of reasons felt like I have been pretending to be a person or like piloting a body that is not my body or you know Mm -hmm. pilot just a brain piloting a brain that's not my brain and just trying to see how to fit in with humans who seem to feel so comfortable with it um and and that's where that song came from and the the other place that this musical comes from is you know in the middle of the night once when I was not at my house which is usually when I come up with ideas I was right I wrote down this idea of like a woman who creates a program and tries to teach it how to be a person when she herself does not know how to be a person and the the kind of therapeutic idea of like a brain in a box who wants to be a person when I am the opposite of that you know, a person who wants to be a brain in the box. And the musical obviously turned into a lot of things and became basically the story of my transition, in addition to having a lot of hedgehogs and cheese. You know, no wonder I relate to this so deeply. And I think a lot of us have had that feeling of being alienated. Yeah. And also hedgehogs, I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, it's important. Oh, yeah. Hedgehogs are an part important of part of any, yeah. any good transition. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, 
Part of what struck me about teaching a robot to love is that there's a lot of dystopian stuff in it. There's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, surveillance capitalism is like a huge theme with the company Advernado. That's just like this kind of, you know, I can't imagine what inspired that, but it feels very relevant right now. And, you know, also the way that artificial intelligences and artificial life in general could be abused and exploited. But at the same time, you deal with these really dark, upsetting themes in a way that the tone is kind of light and friendly. And do you think that that's partly thanks to sort of being able to use musical numbers to kind of delve into these serious topics without hitting us over the head with the dystopia? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I I think there's a lot of things, and you probably as artists yourself kind of know this yourself where you just kind of make stuff and you don't really realize why you make the art you make. But I've recently bec- been coming to terms with the fact that I'm just adorable and that's what I make. Um, like, which is not something I've really been able to accept before now. But yeah, I think I just like, I like things that are cute and I like being able to feel good watching art. Like, I think, especially art about the present, about technology, about being queer, like all of this, it's just so like, I don't need to be sad about it. I'm sad about it all the time. I don't need art to make me feel bad about it. Like, I'm good. I actually have that. I would rather have like the catharsis and joy. And music is a great way to do that. Like, I think I I had it kind of beat into my head at a really early stage of music that like, it's easier to write a sad song. So if you can, it's more of a challenge to write like a happy song about surveillance capitalism or like an upbeat song about, you know, the downfall of capitalism. And like that, that kind of stuff is it's more of a challenge. So if you can do it, it's kind of fun and it's more enjoyable to experience for me. (laughs) The other thing that happens with um, songs in this musical is that they're kind of, they sometimes work almost as like a plot twist. Like one Mm -hmm. of the scenes that I really Mm -hmm. love is when, so Marsh, the AI is supposed to be the ultimate sales brain, right? It's supposed to figure out like how to target everybody and stuff like that. And then Mr. Norton is like, all right, well, tell us what you're thinking, Marsh. And Marsh sings this amazing song about how capitalism needs to be destroyed. And so I wonder, like, do you feel like the songs partly like keep us guessing? Or is it that they're ways of revealing character traits that we didn't see before? This is the first like full length musical I've written. And I think one of the really fun things that you can do with songs in a musical is change the story, right? Like you, yeah. it, the, a scene can just be like, okay, this is the scene. And then this is a song that emphasizes what just happened in the scene. But a fun thing to do with this song is be like, this song is integral to this scene. And if you didn't have the song here, the scene would be a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I was really trying to do with this sh- show is like, these songs are important and they are they change what's happening in this moment. I have to give a shout out that particular song, uh, Software Testing 404, I believe, um, is mm-hmm. was a song that I co-wrote with Aaron Wilson, who is the my collaborator on this project. And he uh we went through a lot of genres on that pro- on that particular number. It was reggae for a while, it was ska. Oh. It went it was like this is uh, it's a weird one, and it ends up being shorter in the actual stage play than it is on the album, just for the way that the pacing worked out. But it was, it's a really fun one, and I enjoyed, um, I don't know, I enjoyed the, the fact that a robot who knows everything about what humans need uh, realizes that what we actually need is um, to 
burn down the world. I think it's good for all Just of us. parts of the world, you know. Like, right, right, yes. <laughs> keep the love and the happiness intact. Yeah, keep this part where you run through the forests and kind of in- take off all your clothes and enjoy being in the world. Um, <laughs> I actually read a thing the other day where people were saying that they feel like musicals are kind of like action movies because in a musical, you have like things will be happening and then you'll have like a musical number and in a, an action movie, you'll have like a fight scene. And, you know, I feel like sometimes in an, it's the same thing, like an action movie, the fight scene could actually move the story forward or be like something that actually is important to the characters or it could just be like garnish almost. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you think about making it kind of integral to the story rather than just like garnish? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it, it's what's called, and I've learned a lot about this in the last few years, making this happen, um, where you like write your outline and then you do something called song spotting, where you find like what parts of the oh. story are going to be songs. Um, mm, that's interesting. And to me, it's like, what would be the most fun thing to be a song? What would be the most like, like obviously it has to be easy to understand if you're, in the audience and and like it's not like like a throwaway line in a song can't be like really important to the plot but i mean i think to me i just follow what what would be the most fun and and then yeah you it's it's the same thing like i come from a journalism background and songwriting right where all which are all about like economy of words so like anything you take out nothing in the story could be there that, that you could take out and it wouldn't be essential Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what i was trying to do i was in this like kind of rigorous musical theater program when i was writing this that i ended up dropping out of because i hate the system but (laughs) one of the things that they kind of drilled into us is like things should be important things should be like should matter and that's what i went for (laughs) so as you were mentioning earlier um there's clearly a subtext of transition in this story and there's just queerness everywhere and it's just presented in this really matter-of-fact way it's just like part of the universe and i wonder if you think that you know a science fiction musical is particularly good for queer storytelling oh thank you yeah yeah i uh i love the world that we've created especially the stage version of the show because we had these costumers who came in atelier abene and they um really wanted we, we i kind of pitched them like it's like retro futurist but extremely gay and they were like yes <laughs> yes absolutely we're here for it and we're gonna make this the gayest show that you've ever seen and um it it kind of just turned into this like rainbow world that i want to live in forever which is very funny because the show now at the same time is very utopian and dystopian at the same time um but i i think that the way that i tried to build this world that in a way is very matter of fact about queerness it is was was based on a conversation i had with my friend ali gertz who's a writer and she told me like we could you're making it up right you're making up a world so why Mm -hmm. not make up a world where people are accepted for being queer why not make up a world where there is no sexism why not make up a world where you know these things that you want to model in reality actually are real because it's fake anyway (laughs) so you don't have to have you know these problems and and the problems do exist but they are robot problems instead of gay problems Mm -hmm, or whatever mm -hmm. yeah they're capitalism problems as opposed to like systemic transphobia or whatever so who are some musical creators who like influenced you and kind of the way you want to tell stories using this form uh i love musicals my favorite musicals are well disney musicals i love them i've been listening to a lot of them recently and just 
every single song and just being like, this is so gay. This is like the transist story. Like listening to The Little Mermaid now, and it's just like, come on, come on, get out of here with your, (laughs) have to not talk and give up your voice so you can get a vagina. Sorry. Um, Anyway, it's. No, no, getting legs. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. It's the whole thing legs uh and um but i i also just love like alan minkin and all of the the way that they the story the songs are so catchy and so emotional at the same time as telling those stories are huge and have influenced my life and obviously huge mulan fan from the beginning because trans mask i i love rebecca sugar uh rebecca's incredible Mm. way that they tell queer stories and i was able to interview them once and they told me about some of the songs that they've written for Adventure Time and and, uh, and Steven Universe and how those are written about their own experiences, but, you know, put into this world. Like, this is actually a song about, like, a stuffed animal I had and this, in my lost childhood, but it's actually, now it's in this and it's about gems and a fantasy world and, like, taking such specifics from your own life and turning it into specifics in the fantasy world was really inspirational to me. And then, yeah, Erin and I obviously talked a lot about Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton and all of these, like, bringing in themes and reprising musical um, musical themes and, and words and referencing things that in a way that makes it a very satisfying listen. Um, those are the main musical people that we were looking at. So right now is a huge time for sort of science fiction musical stuff. Like there's a science fiction and fantasy musicals. There was obviously like Schmigadoon, which is an actual musical portal fantasy. Mm-hmm. There's like the stage musical of Matilda has been a huge hit and it's coming to Netflix. There's been a bunch of old movies have been turned into musicals recently and a bunch of episodes of sci-fi TV shows just like randomly will have a musical episode. Mm-hmm. Why are genre musicals so big right now? It's escapism, right? Like, isn't that where why musicals always become popular is, like, right after World War II or whatever. Like, we all just need to, like, jump into sci-fi and we need to jump into musicals. It's like, what if the world was different? Um, I'm a fan. And also, it's absolutely my dream to be the person that they bring in to write sci- epi- musical episodes of sci-fi shows. Like, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And please, for the love of God, let me do it. Okay, so what is your first choice? Like, they're coming to uh, any any show whatsoever can come mm. to you. Who's coming to you to ask you to do the musical episode? Oh, this is great. I mean, I love all of the, like, DC shows and how, like, absolutely earnest. Like, they're so set up to be musicals because the, the it's so earnest and, like, dramatic all the time. Um, I mean, and they already, they do this already, but I think that, they don't they don't write original songs for them and they should like no no they did oh they do supergirl and the flash had like a musical crossover they they don't do enough original like i've seen them and there's not enough original songs like and a lot of them are like we'll we'll do like we'll do some old standards and we'll do like no just like so i'm supergirl and i've got a cape and pants i mean like let's just like freaking do it like i'm i'm down I like the beginning Absolutely. of that song. I will, I will. And I put mm-hmm. on pants. <laughs> I mean, they, they, that literally is almost a song that they did in that, that episode. Yeah, that, that's pretty much... 
They, I don't know. I want a musical episode of like Star Trek Discovery. Absolutely. Like, oh my like God. Burnham yes. And like to make it Star Kelly Trek Disco and... for real. What if okay. we just did like Obi-Wan? Like I, we just watched Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan the musical. Oh my gosh. If you staged Obi-Wan the musical. Oh my God. That would be amazing. I, the, one of the things that I keep thinking about is writing a Witcher musical. Like I would yes. absolutely huh. love it. I, I'm also just like, oh my god! I don't know if I'm in love or in want to be Henry Gavel, but either way, I want to play him in the musical. So, yeah, I mean, it also it could be like updated so that he's like a robot too, you know? Like, it could be like a robot Witcher, but then you know, the Witcher himself, like, he could be a robot. Okay, so uh, we need to talk about our favorite science fiction musicals now. So I want to go around and have each of us name a musical that's like one of our favorites um, and talk about why. Um, and it's understood that, of course, we love many musicals, but these are just our ones that we're picking. So, okay, Laser, do you want to go first? Sure. I mean, my my favorite sci-fi musical, and I, I honestly just got the chance to see it live for the first time, was, was Little Shop of Horrors, which is an amazing show that's like about employment and capitalism and abuse and like all of these things it's so good it's like a wonderful small cast musical and it was really inspirational to me because our show also has like a puppet problem like how do you have your (laughs) cast a main (laughs) cast member who does not exist for most of the show um and uh we we i saw an off-broadway production that was absolutely fantastic um huge absolutely huge little shop fan with of course like honorable mention uh for the problematic or whatever but like i i absolutely love dr horrible it was hugely influential in my life amazing duets in that show and really good use of tropes and not tropes and and all of that yeah i still sometimes listen to the freeze ray song it's like such an incredible and the staging of that whole scene is just Great. So, yeah. All right, Charlie Jane, your turn. Yeah. So I think you probably can guess what my favorite sci-fi musical is because you know me and because like I'm a total goofball, but I love The Apple, (laughs) which is a 1980 disco dystopian musical film in which it takes place in kind of a future world where like basically Satan is running a record company and he's making people get like the mark of the beast on their foreheads, but it's kind of a disco mark. And like he makes everybody do disco music, but it's kind of like the the musical is kind of like, oh, this disco music that we're doing is terrible, but it also is amazing. And the music, the film clearly knows that it's amazing. And like, it has some of my favorite like musical performances, like the kind of just set pieces, like of all time. And it gets so campy and so weird and so amazing. And I've turned so many people onto this film who are just like, oh my God, I had no idea. And the guy who directed it went on to make, kind of produce I would say like most of the cheesiest movies of the 80s through the Canongate Company, he was like a maestro who just did hundreds and hundreds of films. But this film was the one that he directed and poured his heart into it. At the end of it, I'm just going to spoil the ending. In the end, God shows up in a giant flying limousine and saves everybody. And that's just how it ends. And that's how most show stories should end that way. I, I love a musical about music also. It's just like, oh brilliant. yeah, why not? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, and also I love how in the Apple, the thing that makes Satan so satanic is that he's a copyright maximalist. So it's all about how he's taking all of the IP of these musicians and um, abusing them by like getting them to sign these horrible contracts. Um, so it's very, it's like very um, pro piracy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of anti music industry, which you know I think that time was when people were starting to realize how abusive the music industry was. So it's actually pretty topical. Yeah. Its and also the main characters are from Saskatchewan. So that's exciting for me. Oh, great. Yep. They're a folk duo from Saskatchewan who become like disco Satanists. Like all good heroes. <laughs> yeah. So my, it's the hero's journey. My favorite um, science fiction musical is called Mr. Burns. And it was... Charlie and I were lucky enough to see it in a preview performance in New York City, I want to say like 10 years ago. Pretty almost 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, and it's this incredible story about um, there's a horrific apocalypse. We never quite know what it is. Um, and the show takes place over three generations as the apocalypse recedes into the past. And so the first generation, um, a group of people are trying to feel better uh, about themselves. And so they start trying to reconstruct old Simpsons episodes. And so they're just like retelling Simpsons episodes around the fire as like, you know, nuclear power plants, like, you know, light on fire in the distance. And then in the second part, the group of people uh, from the original, from the first act, I think their children are now part of a theater troupe that stages Simpsons television shows as like musicals. And there's an incredible number like with a car where they're dancing around and they're kind of recreating Simpson stories and they go around to different like apocalyptic swap meets and pay people to tell them lines from old Simpsons stories so that they can kind of gather more and more material. And then by the third act, which is in the far future, the Simpsons have become like a miracle play or like a morality play. It's like an opera and they're all wearing these like Simpsons masks that are like super distorted and kind of monstrous. And it's become this like story of like almost like the hero's journey where like Bart Simpson is this like really this character with all this gravitas and he's like going into the world and doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And we're sort of watching this being staged for us. And so the music has gone from being this kind of campy, disco-y music to being like literal opera. And mm -hmm. I just love, I love so many things about this play, but I especially love the idea that we get to see how pop culture turns into this almost like religious ritual, you know, and like that it goes from being like a silly comedy to being this like amazing morality play, which makes you wonder about things like the Bible, you know, and like maybe yeah, it was originally written and, as a, yeah. or Shakespeare's like, oh, originally written as a sitcom, now treated as a great moral treatise, you know? I love so that. So one day I mean, that the is Simpsons the might life be cycle. Our, our biblical text, you know? That is the life cycle of all texts, you know? They they, they become decontextualized and over-moralized. Yeah, or, the, or the opposite. You know, like they become stripped of their mean original meaning, you know, mm. and... That's that's what I, kind of what I meant by deconstruction. No, no, but I mean, like, sometimes they become demoralized, like they originally have a meaning, and then, you know, right. they become oh, right, like right, a right. national anthem, like a national anthem that is not national anthem, but like, we always sing that uh, Woody Guthrie song, um, you know, about oh, yeah. America that is originally like a super anti-authoritarian song, you know, This Land is My Land. Right. And like, in your, 
when I was a kid, we sang that as like a patriotic song, but we just yeah. didn't sing oh. all of the verses about like how private property is evil and we should all unionize <laughs> and stuff. Um, so yeah, right. That's a great example. It's a great example of like I said, yeah. like stripping it of its of its meaning. Or um, like when people are like, yeah. "Would Star Trek get political or something?" Like I know. <laughs> <laughs> It always drives me nuts when people use that Stevie Wonder song that's about, like, we need a national holiday for Martin Luther King's birthday. And they're just like, this is a happy birthday song. And it's like, it is, but it's also got a very specific point, you know? <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I guess, you know, have you been hit bitten by the musical bug now? Or are you going to do more stage musicals after Teaching a Robot to Love? I would, I would love to. Um, I really, really enjoyed doing it. I would love to not have to produce it myself. <laughs> this was a lot. Um uh, I have my house is currently full of costumes and props and it, it has been mm -hmm. for months now. Uh, that's a lot. Usually you don't have to do that. When you're the writer, you just have to write it and then like submit it places. But it was nice to be able to have a little bit more creative control and, um, you know, make sure that Marsh was cast as a NB actor in addition to, you know, being an, a non-binary character and like that, that all of that stuff was, was within our control. Um, but I would love to I absolutely enjoyed writing this. It took, you know, three years, but um, loved it. Would love to do more. I was just curious whether you've um, watched uh, R.U.R. Rossum's Universal Robots, the that old. It's not a musical. It's just like the play that launched the idea of robots. I've read it. Oh uh, yeah, the, the Czech play. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I have, um, and I love it. Uh, yeah, because I was going to say, I feel like teaching a robot to love is like, at, at points, kind of a tip of the hat to RUR. I, I love robot stuff. I, I, I Any any books and, uh, I mean, obviously, as a non-binary, like, there's the non-human, non-binary trope, and, like, playing with that is, is interesting, and I've also identified with robots my whole life, but there's, uh, I, I, I absorb robot content, and, I, yeah, RUR, I think I... At one point, I was like reading a bunch of Czech literature just for fun, and that book is really good and also like um, amazing that that has been what we have thought about robots for so long. Is like, oh, and eventually we're going to abuse them and they're going to come rise up. Like that's, I mean, Monk and Rope, but Becky Chambers' Monk and Robot is just basically the sequel to to RUR, like, but you know, in a beautiful way, kind of situation. Like it's it's an interesting and like in, in your work on robot, like all of all of robots are. But do we learn? No, never. <laughs> well, hopefully by the time we have human equivalent robots, we will. No, we won't really have learned anything. Mm. So. So you know, I mentioned earlier that one of the big trends is is kind of taking classic movies and turning them into stage musicals. And you know, what classic movie would you want to turn into a musical if you had the chance to do any of them? I also want to know your answers, but uh, my answer is Carol. Just so you know, I've been thinking about it a lot. The 2015 lesbian f film Carol, I think, would be a really good oh, musical. I think taking it in, into um, making a really silly musical about this m movie that where basically nothing happens except for Kate Blanchett falls in love with Rooney Mara, or Rooney Mara falls in love with Kate Blanchett over a train set and some gloves, uh, would be a really good film. And there would probably be a, a few dream ballets in it. I think about it a lot. Wow, I want to watch that. Have you not seen Carol? Oh, 
I haven't seen no, it. We, no, we have to watch it's it It's actually now. on our list of movies that we needed to see. It's so funny because I remember being like, I really want to see that movie and I forgot the name. And so now I just okay. actually wrote down we, as you were okay. talking. Uh, literally, both of you, I have a podcast about Carol. You'll come on. We'll talk about Carol. You'll have to watch it. Um, that's the only way I watch movies anyway these days is people make me for podcasts. Um, it's a great movie. It's just it's just yearning. Oh my gosh. It's two hours of yearning. It's more than two hours of yearning. <laughs> no, I'm so down. Like, yeah. it's so my I'm jam. Excited. I love slow burn. It's yeah. like my favorite kind of burn and yeah. my favorite kind of slow. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because it's women. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, Charlie, what are you going to make into a musical? I mean... You know, uh, the movie that I would most love to turn into a stage musical is the the movie Bedazzled, starring Peter Cook and D- Dudley Moore, which is, it was remade with Brendan Fraser, and I've never seen the remake because it just didn't look it's like it was going to be story, good. It's a Faust story, right? But yeah. It's basically a Faust yeah. story. Dudley Moore is a dude who kind of, he's at the end of his rope, like literally he tries to kill himself early on, and the devil, played by Peter Cook, comes to him and offers him like seven wishes in exchange for his soul. But a lot of the movie is just Peter Cook complaining about how hard it is to be the devil and like how people are so unfair to him. And there actually is a musical sequence already in the film. There's a couple of musical sequences in the film. So you could use those, Mm -hmm. but you could also turn a lot of those other scenes into musical sequences and it would just be so brilliant and wonderful. it's It's got a little bit of once more with feeling vibes, like the Buffy episode, like just the, a little I'm bit. a demon, my life is hard. Kind of I mean, kind of. There's this amazing sequence, which is on YouTube, where Peter Cook is explaining why he got cast out of heaven, and he gets on top of a mailbox and says, he sits cross-legged on top of a mailbox, and he says to Dudley Moore, okay, I'm God, you're me, now dance around praising me. And so Dudley Moore does this soft shoe routine and dances around like, you're wise, you're wonderful, you're creating birds, that was a good idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. You created all this stuff, you're so great. Da, da, da. He dances around and then after like a minute, he's like, I'm getting tired, can we change places? And and Lucifer is like, that's what I thought. <laughs> and like, it's just such a, it's so, it's so incredible. It's such a great film. Um, I'm sure I haven't watched it in years. I'm sure parts of it have aged badly because it's from the 1960s, but I think it would be a great stage musical. Okay. Also, I, I would like to note that like you have a theme, which is like all of your musicals must feature Satan. So. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, in fact, Satan you could probably great... just combine Bedazzled and and the um, apple and the apple into one stage musical. But if you want to pretend that Norton is Satan in our musical, if that helps you enjoy it, feel, please feel free. No, he kind of is. I mean, he is—he's a bad guy, but he's not. I mean, I think you know, hypercapitalism and like Satanism are not the same thing. No, Satanism's um, way. He tries cooler. to lure people into terrible yeah. deals. So he tries to take people's souls. Yeah, I—I'm gonna say RoboCop. Um, yes. because, yes. you know, yes. we've been thinking about robot musicals and I can just imagine amazing scenes with RoboCop dancing. I think mm-hmm. because the original RoboCop movie deals with a strike, the cops are on strike, you could have an amazing dance sequence with the strikers mm-hmm. and like oh, pretty much yeah. any of the fight scenes could be turned into like a dance fight. Dance fights, um, dance fights are the best. Dance fights are the best, but also I'll buy that for a dollar. It could be like a, a musical number. <laughs> There'd have to be a musical number about the secret fourth law, um, where like we learn about the secret fourth law and it would be like the fourth law. What do you say? Don't do anything against the corporation. The fourth law. That's see, this is see how I'm such a great. Yeah. 
so. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Musical producers, I hope you're taking notes right now. <laughs> All right. I think on that note, we have definitely figured out the future of our Hollywood careers um, or para-Hollywood careers. We did it. Yeah, we did it. We've, we've figured it out. So um, awesome. So thank you so much for joining us, Laser. It was so good, like, just, you know, exchanging ideas with you for our future projects. Of and- <laughs> uh, an absolute honor. I can't tell you how excited I was to get the email that, you, first of all, that you'd watched the musical and that you wanted to have me on this uh, show. You you both are incredible and obviously a huge admirer of, of, of you in, in the SFF world. So my, my first step into creating my own SFF universe to be able to talk to you about it has been. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Well, we hope to see many more science fiction creations from you. Thank you. Yeah. Laser, where can people find you? People can find me on uh, Twitter at Laser M Weber, W-E-B-B-E-R. You can also check out my stuff at thedoubleclicks.com, including the ability to stream Teaching a Robot to Love. Just uh, It's a limited time stream, but if you go to thedoubleclicks.com, there will be a link to get Teaching a Robot to Love to watch the stream. We can't keep it up forever just for reasons, but get there, watch the show. You can also check out Teaching a Robot to Love anywhere you listen to music, Spotify, iTunes, wherever, Jeff Bezos' house. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got it. Um, check it out. I, I, I'm really, really proud of it. And the album is is something I... Aaron did an incredible job producing it. So please, check out Teaching a Robot to Love and find me. Yes. Awesome. Yay! Thank you so much for listening. This has been Our Opinions Are Correct. If you just randomly stumbled through a musical portal into this episode, you can find our podcast wherever podcasts are found. You can subscribe to us. And if you like us, please do leave a review because that helps a lot. Also, we're on Twitter at OOACpod and we're on the web at OurOpiniansAreCorrect.com. You know, I want to thank our wonderful, amazing producer, Veronica Simonetti. I want to thank Chris Palmer for the music and thanks to everybody who supports us on patreon it really makes a huge difference and uh you know we'll talk to you later if you're a patron we'll be hanging out with you in discord and otherwise we'll see you in a couple weeks bye, bye.